Stormwood and Associates is a part of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. For more podcasts from actual play to true crime to witchcraft, go to nerdandtie.com or join our Discord by finding an invite at nerdandtie.com slash discord. All right, and welcome to episode zero of campaign two of Stormwood and Associates. Uh, I am one of your GMs and players. Uh, I'm Trey Dorn. Joining me as always are Kyle Johnson Gan Proc and Nick Izumi, and uh, we are introducing Campaign 2, uh, because rather than just throwing you into it like we did with Campaign 1, uh, what we're going to do is talk about the setting of Campaign 2 and how it's different from Campaign 1, and then we're going to introduce the characters that you're going to meet throughout however many episodes this mess takes. <laughs> um uh, like campaign one, we will be rotating GMs, but I'll be handling the primary story. Um, and that's not to say that episodes GMs by the other players won't become massively important to the primary story like we saw in campaign one. Um, so, uh, and obviously campaign one saw us follow the uh, San Ricardo office of Stormwood and Associates in the United States of Aramisia uh, with Brad Stormwood et al. and their you know fight against Hollowell. And the San Ricardo office was a new office that is, as we ended the campaign, is slowly starting to expand into a larger operation. But Stormwood and Associates uh, is actually a massive international organization with offices around the world, including Chicago, Illinois. And that's, that's where we're going to find our characters with Campaign 2 is our, our characters will be starting out in the Chicago, Illinois office of Stormwood and Associates. And the Chicago office is very different from the small fledgling San, San Ricardo office. The Chicago office is actually run by a cousin of uh, Raz and Robert Stormwood. Robert Stormwood being the head of all of Stormwood and Associates, Raz being our protagonist from Storm from Campaign 1, as played by Gen Proc. Um, but we're not going to meet the person in charge of the office. You see, the Chicago office covers large parts of the United States, including several major metro areas. And uh, it is staffed by literally hundreds of people. And its investigative teams are called uh, field teams. And uh, the, our, our, our cast is going to be the uh, newly formed... Uh, field Operations Team 623. Field Operations Team 623. And uh, they are going to be going on wherever they are assigned, and they aren't going to always be staying in one place. But uh, they don't choose their clients. They're just sent. Because we are much lower down the ladder in the Stormwood organization than Raz Stormwood, direct descendant of Aesop Stormwood. Because the Stormwood family is huge. The uh, the, the Stormwood cousin actually uh, running the Chicago office, um, Ethan Stormwood, is uh, a distant, distant cousin of Robert Stormwood. You see, Aesop Stormwood... Uh, when he uh, created his organization, he wanted to make sure that both his organization and family were quite large. Aesop Stormwood, fun historical fact, uh, had uh, was married three times. 
uh, divorced twice, widowed the third time, and uh, had over ten children. And those children were fruitful and multiplied. And there are storm. There are so many stormwoods. There are just so many freaking stormwoods. There's uh. Now, Raz Stormwood was the oldest child of the oldest child of the oldest child at all, going back as the, like, primary heir of the Stormwood destiny. But uh, there were lots of other Stormwoods out there. Lots of other branches of the family going every which way. Not all of them completely human, even. Um, his Ace of Stormwood's third wife was an elf. Um All of all of these, all of these Stormwoods uh, include, though Ethan Stormwood's daughter, who is going to be the Stormwood you meet in this series as the leader of the newly formed uh, Field Operations Group Six Two Three, Liz Stormwood, and Liz is going to be played by Kyle. Kyle, tell us about Liz Stormwood. Uh, Liz Stormwood, daughter of Ethan Stormwood, was um, uh, she was raised in the in the company, so she has experience with you know this sort of thing. But uh, she left that behind a while ago, went off to college. Uh, has been working on her master's in engineering. Um, and then when the family business imploded, she came back to help rebuild. Um, mm-hmm. she is a, uh, she is a, is a, a human. She wears black rimmed glasses and has her blonde hair pulled back, uh, into a bun. Her standard attire is a like matching skirt and blazer set over uh, a single color short sleeve top. Um, in the field, she'll wear, wear a clean white pair of kids, but in the office, she'll wear more uh, appropriate business shoes. Um, she is, um, <clears throat> she's not what a, a whole lot of people would cons- would think of as like fun. <laughs> she thinks she's fun i'm sure she thinks she's fun yeah and so uh so she's a human uh what's her archetype uh she is a scientist she's a scientist which is this is the first time we've seen a player play a scientist in a well okay so there is an episode of the meat grinder in which someone plays a scientist but that season this will air before that Campaign 2 will start airing before that season, that episode of that season comes out. So this will be the first time you hear a scientist in this system in a podcast. (laughs) But not the first time we've had someone play one. So you're going to be going in with no combat sweep moves. That's correct. (laughs) This is going to be fun. All right. So, also on the team, the team is uh, filled out by, of course, a rather interesting set of characters, uh, including um, 
Nick, tell us about your character. Okay, so uh, I am playing uh, D, uh, and she just goes by D. D is a uh, trans woman elf um, who doesn't like uh, getting too much into her backstory, but um, is uh, uh, has a whole lot of um, probably too much self confidence. She thinks very highly of her own abilities. Um, she's and uh, she is definitely not hyping herself up to make up for the fact that she is in uh, her late 20s and is mostly rudderless and directionless as far as her life goes. Um, she almost always, uh, if uh, if she can and it's not too damn cold, she is going to wear cut-off jeans. Um, the uh, uh, And boots are like her signature. Uh, red hair usually tied back in a ponytail depends on what she's going for though. Um, she is an absolute disaster of a person. Uh, she's a driver. Um, so I, it's safe to say that her, most of her schooling may have come from the school of hard knocks, but she got good grades. So that's something. <laughs> All right. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where I'm at. When I hear D, all I think of is D D. Wake up D. Um, <laughs> no, nobody's hand is it's, talking. Um, it's definitely not a uh, <laughs> a really subtle reference to a a French historical figure who I'm really fond of. Um, okay. <laughs> just, yeah. Cool. I'll get into it eventually, probably. Yeah, that's fine. All right, neat. Awesome. And then um, a more unconventional member of the team is Gen's character, Obi. Okay. <laughs> Dear listener, bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> you, nothing ever starts out well with that. <laughs> Okay, so going by the nickname of Obi is my character. Full name is Obadiah Winston Harvey Prism. Yes, he has two middle names. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> okay, so Obi is an orc. He is a 10-year-old child prodigy. Um he has just graduated high school, and he is taking some work before going to college, trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. Um, yeah. He is an investigator. And yeah, I mean. Um, I love it. Um, yeah, he's an investigator archetype. He likes Minecraft, space, Fortnite, Star Wars, and pizza. He dislikes wading and mushrooms. I also made up his parents. Do you want to hear about his folks? Sure, tell me about his parents. <laughs> okay, his dad who, is who Brian. Your irresponsible parents who are letting this <laughs> child go to dangerous gunfire. Hmm. <laughs> <sighs> They have strict stipulations that they <laughs> that they signed off on. Um, okay, so his dad is Brian Prism. He's 42 years old. He's a theoretical physicist at a 
private university. Um, he loves music. His, he really wants to start a uh, Pink Floyd cover band, but can't <laughs> find anybody to play with. Um, and his mom is Elise Prism, and she is a 40-year-old neurosurgeon at a nearby medical center. And she has a weird like, fascination with medieval history. Neat. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a list of things that Obi keeps in his backpack. But yeah, well, that's it's good that you know what Obi what ha, Obi has in his backpack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll come up useful for later. Yes. <laughs> All right. And then finally, last but not least, is uh, my character, and I'm going to be playing Amy Hawkins. Amy is uh, you may remember as one of the interns from Campaign One of Stormwood and Associates. Um. That's right. I'm playing a character from the early, an NPC from the earlier campaign. Um, Amy, who interned at the San Ricardo office and was involved in the final battle against Hollowell, in, in part by, you know, um, blowing up a lot of cops with psychic flame. Um, she has finished her bachelor's degree and... Uh, got hired by the uh, Chicago office of Stormwood and Associates after, you know, having worked for the company as an intern. Um, Amy, if, uh, for those of you who don't remember, because she was, you know, a minor character, besides most notably kissing Bill, um, is uh, she was the intern who did all the work. Uh, <laughs> uh Amy is, uh, she's a little bit goth, but like almost more in a mall goth way in certain ways in how I describe her sense of fashion. Uh, largely in all black. There's a blue streak in her hair. Um, wears a choker, uh, but is mostly just kind of resigned that she's going to have to be dealing with this shit. Um, she's a magic user. Um, obviously, uh, if you've listened, if you haven't listened to campaign one, then you do need to be told that. But, uh, yeah, she's a magic user. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's in her mid-twenties and very tired. And that that is Amy. Um, some fun facts about this. Uh, uh, there are some changes to the mechanics that we're doing with Campaign 2. Um, and that is we are mo- using a set of rules uh, called the Advanced Combat Rules. These are on the Super Awesome Action Heroes website. They're not in the printed manual. Uh, so these are these are optional rules that can be added onto the system that uh, add some variety, um, especially for like long form campaigns like the ones we've been doing. Um, the most mostly the the biggest changes is we've added uh, critical and success critical successes and critical failures to combat. Um, so combat largely works the same as it did in campaign one. But uh, there were some times in combat where a uh, our characters were fighting fodder who could not mathematically hurt them. And sometimes they'd take on an enemy where the only way that they could do real damage was to use a sweet move. They had no chance of doing like damage on a dice roll, right? This is where the critical successes and critical fail. And also they would come up with against guys who they couldn't miss, right? Like... You would you would come up against people that there was nothing that you could do to miss. Well, 
with critical successes uh, on the D10, if they roll a 10 on their D10 in an attack roll, um, instead of just being a 10, um, they will, on an attack roll, they will automatically succeed in hitting their target regardless of the target's dodge score. So if the fodder guy shooting at our heroes when they're like re-archetyped three times in level five shoots at them, they can still hit them if they hit the 10. Um, likewise, even doesn't matter how low the, the member, the person's dodge is, if in your attack you roll a one on your D10, um, you will fail hitting them on an attack roll no matter what. So... Additionally, you'll just look really stupid. Um, that's in the rules. It it I, it literally <laughs> says your character looks dumb if they roll a one on their attack. Uh, now, on a damage roll, if a player rolls a 10, a critical success on a damage roll, the target's soak will be considered one half of its score rounded down. So, for example, if the target normally has a soak of five, on a critical success on the damage roll, that soak would be considered would be divided in half and rounded down so that would be a two so and likewise this happens to our heroes if they're being attacked um and uh if they fail a critical fail on their damage roll um they will do no damage to their target on a damage roll so even if your base scores say that you should kill that fodder no matter what you roll if you roll a one on your damage roll Regardless of stats, you will do no damage to your target. And also your character looks really super dumb. That is also in the rules. It says also your character looks really super dumb. You can look and you will find it there. Um, now, whether or not critical failures uh, or successes occur on D10 challenges or ability rolls, like say a hide roll, those are up to the GM. Um, they do not affect rolls on sweet move damage. Rolling a 10 on your sweet move damage... When you're fighting much fodder, will give you no bonuses. Rolling a one will not hurt you on a sweet move damage roll, right? So if you're doing a sweet move on multiple targets and you're given your bonus D10 because you're targeting fodder characters, if you roll a one on that, you're not. There's no penalty. You know, it's not a huge roll, but there's not a penalty on a sweet move roll or like sweet or like a, a, a magical attack, things like that. Things that would use the sweet move rules aren't affected by this. Uh, besides that, um, we are introducing a thing that this, in the advanced combat rules, introduces something that's not necessarily combat-based, but is something the system has been sorely lacking, and that is fall damage. <laughs> in campaign one, if our characters had been stupid and jumped off a ten-story building, technically there is absolutely no penalty to that. That is changing. Um... Now, our characters will still be able to do really stupid things. Like, if they jump off from a height that is under three stories, they're still going to be fine. Um, but what it is is that f um, for every... Once you get to th three stories or more, then our characters will start to take uh, damage rolls of one of uh, 1d6 per th every three stories. So... If it's under three stories, the person will take no damage. If it's three to five stories, they'll do take 1d6 damage on that fall. Um, if it's six to eight stories, 2d6, nine to 11 stories, 3d6, etc. And three stories are approximately 42 feet in this system. If you need to like do math on like an actual height that's not a building. Um, and obviously that continues to scale as it gets 
taller. So if your character falls 30 stories, they're going to take 10d6 damage. Which for our level 1 characters is instant death. <laughs> so don't jump 30 stories is what I'm saying before you re-archetype. Dang it. Unless you're using a sweet move where you figure out a way to descend with a rope and all this other stuff. Like, obviously, you know, if you need to jump four stories, use a sweet move where you can swing down or, you know, parkour off down the side of the building. And that will keep you from taking damage. But, you know, if you just, like, jump off an airship, then you're going to make me mad as I do math and figure out how many D6s I have to pull out of my dice bag. But also, likewise, like when Royce was thrown off a cliff, he might have died in campaign one if we had implemented this. And then you wouldn't have had to have dealt with him in the finale. Oh, yeah, but like, you know, that you're not going to kill a main bad guy off screen like that, would we? Well, we would. We, would. If it was, we absolutely if it was, would. If it was because a character kicked them off a building, yes. I mean, I might give them to their turn to try to, like, because six seconds, you know, how long does it take to fall? Like, how far can <laughs> you fall in six seconds? How far does a person fall in six seconds is literally a thing that someone's already asked on Quora. Um, That's uncomfortable. Well, it's our round time is the same as uh so in six seconds a person will fall um about a hundred and eighty meters. So a <laughs> hundred and eighty meters in feet. Five hundred and ninety feet. Yeah, no, um your bone use a sweet move. Um I guess technically if the fall was high enough. So 180 divided by 42. So that's um 46 damage at that point when you're at, you're you'd be at 46 damage in 6 seconds of falling uncontrolled. So if I guess if you're up next in the initiative order don't fall. That's <laughs> the lesson here, folks, is don't fall. All right. With that, I think that's enough to wrap up episode zero. And we will talk to you guys next week in episode one of campaign two. And I'll just use the see, I'll use campaign one's outro music. I don't know if we're going to change it for campaign two. But here you go, guys. 